Welcome to the Leaders in LiDAR podcast series hosted by Umbilical Technology. In this series, I interview senior members of the world's leading LiDAR manufacturers to give you an insight into a misunderstood sensor technology that I and the guests of this series are confident will be ubiquitous in the coming years and providing benefits to society for a wide number of exciting use cases. Today, I'm joined by AI's Chief Marketing Officer, Stephen Lambright, who has a rich history in leading marketing, strategy, and product development for companies in the Silicon Valley. Stephen now, since 2017, works for AI, and AI is a California-based LiDAR manufacturer founded in 2013 by Luis de San. Luis remains their CTO and president to this day, and his own background is in the defense sector, where he worked on targeting systems for fighter jets. His realization that autonomous vehicles face similar challenges to fighter jets with regards to detection, identification, and responding to an object in real time led him to found AI. He's now joined by a team of experts from NASA, the U.S. Air Force, and DARPA, who are aiming to create the highest performing sensor and perception system, not only for autonomous driving, but for other applications, including rail and intelligent traffic systems. Uh, So this should be a very interesting discussion, including some topic areas that we've not really discussed yet. So pleasure having you on the podcast, Stephen. How are you today? I am excellent. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. Not a problem. So, yeah, I said, give the listeners there a brief overview of AI, and we'll get into kind of the background of the company and the products in a lot more detail. But firstly, help me understand, Stephen, and help the listeners understand kind of what's your background there, and how did you come to join AI? Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing basically technology marketing in Silicon Valley since the early 90s. And so I've been doing this for a while. Never, I've never marketed the same product or technology into the same uh, verticals ever. I've, I did, yeah. I'm sort of a, I'm like a little diversity in my life. And I've been in <laughs> seven or eight different companies, each in different markets, each with different types of products. And um, I think it goes back to just wanting to uh, be intellectually engaged and to constantly be learning. So I've done everything from uh, WYSIWYG website development tools back when that was a hot thing in the mid nineties to, you know, relational database systems to CAD to uh, uh, semantic traffic analysis over, you know, layer six of the IP stack to RFID and global entertainment technology companies. And now finally back to, you know, computer vision systems, if you will, or robotic vision systems at AI. Kind of looking at your LinkedIn, it's kind of a very rich and diverse history, as you have said, into very innovative companies, but working kind of different applications, different markets, etc. So you joined uh, AI in 2017. At that point of your career, Stephen, why is it that AI stood out to you? And why is it that you wanted to get involved in the LiDAR and autonomous driving domain? Well, it's funny. I, I said to a good friend of mine back in, I don't know, probably about 2015, 2016, that the, the one technology that I was really interested in diving into was the autonomous vehicle world. Yep. And it just turned out that that friend of mine um, became an advisor to AI and then became ah. uh, the chief of staff of AI and then became the CEO of AI. And that, that's Blair LaCourt. Ah. So in 2017, Blair called me and said, you know, we're big enough now. We really need to be having some serious thought about how we're going to market ourselves, maybe you should come on board and take a look at this. And so I so my, put my toe in the water, so to speak, and was a consultant for a few months and then decided I thought there was something interesting here and liked the people as much as I liked the technology and, and uh, dove headfirst into the company. So it's it was... Um, uh, it, it seemed like it was completely the natural thing to do from just from step one, back when I first said the words, I really want to work in autonomous vehicles. So yeah. <laughs> kind of just all came together. It, did. Came well. <laughs> it, it, just, it just sort of willed it. I'm not sure how it happened, but here we are. Great. So. Yeah. And I actually seen mentioning Blair, obviously I mentioned Luis at the start. I didn't mention Blair, who's, as you said, now the CEO. I, I seen yesterday that he's been named one of the most influential leaders within a transportation on automotive I think that was by the International Transportation on Auto- Automotive Summit. It's not every day you get recognized as kind of one of the most influential leaders, right? 
Right, and well, and Blair's had a long track record of, uh, of of leading organizations in the transportation and and um, automotive space. In fact, you know, I've been I was with him at uh, AI, or excuse me, at, uh, at Savvy back in the 2000, 2005 timeframe. And Savvy, it's, at Savvy, we build a global network for tracking all goods in the U.S. military supply chain, and then. Just so happened, of course, we had 9-11 occur during that yep. time frame. And so that global infrastructure that was created for tracking goods for the U.S. military, we basically created a parallel universe of that and replicated that for doing port security and port logistics security mm-hmm. to help mitigate risks having you know, in the post-9-11 world. And that involved basically creating a global network of ports and and organizing the logistics around that and implementing technology you know, on a global scale. And um, anyway, we weren't we learned a lot about the whole transportation industry then, but uh, it really was uh, largely because of Blair's leadership and pulling all the pieces together to really put a very complex puzzle uh, in place very quickly uh, in that post 9-11 world. Okay, that's a, a very large space, isn't it? And obviously a lot yep. of a lot of goods being moved around every single day in that area. Yeah, naturally, obviously a lot of security issues there, whether it be kind of drugs, guns, what have you. And, you know, again, after that, in that time frame, really no one knew where it was going to come from next, where the potential terrorist activity could come from. And, and that seemed like a very vulnerable place that we wanted, we, we collectively, the society wanted to make sure was protected. Definitely, yeah, makes sense, one hundred percent. I mean, not something that I'm I'm too familiar with. I'll be very honest, but yeah, logically, kind of, it's something that needs to be tracked, needs to be kept very secure to ensure there's no no threats there in that regards. But back to AI then, um, as a company and mm-hmm. as the product line there. I mean, with regards to the company's goal and the company's aims. Was it? Did it start out as purely autonomous driving, and then move into different applications such as intelligent traffic systems and um, rail, or was it always planned to be a company that would create lidar for various different applications? The vision for the company really was to create a robotic vision system that could be applied across anything that needed to understand where it existed in three-dimensional space. So it was not necessarily driven by automotive. It really came out of the fact that, you know, our Louis origins and the origin of our technology comes from the fact that he was designing high-speed missile tracking systems, right? And that's, and and targeting systems. And this required a tremendous amount of focus on capturing not all the information that you could see, but the information that mattered. And what what Louis brought to to this sort of white sheet of paper that he used to start AI was, look, I I know that we should be focusing on on targeting the information that matters. What's the model that works best here? And in these, it's, it's the human visual cortex. Humans do a great job, an amazing job of basically seeing everything, but being able to focus on what matters most. And how can I replicate that with technology? And so through a combination of uh, basically a MEMS-based agile LIDAR system combined with artificial intelligence on the sensor and really tightly marrying the software and the hardware, making the hardware simple modular and very easy to use, but integrating software in the back end of it that could optimize continuously the transmit and the receive so that it was constantly delivering precisely the information that mattered and really doing it in what we refer as an active way where it's actively engaging the environment. It's looking at the environment and determining what it needs to under, what it needs to understand more about the environment. And that's really what's different in regards to what, what we do versus what other you know, sort of pa- what I'll call passive systems do, right? Yeah, um, we've taken and this this approach. What you know, in terms of what Louis is bringing to the what brought has brought to life here, is not just applicable to automotive. I mean, it's applicable to virtually anything that has to engage in a three dimensional world, and that's um, you know, it really comes down to. Uh, you know, just creating a platform, a system. Sure. Yeah. And look, that makes perfect sense. I mean, with what I've learned through doing this podcast is that LIDAR can be applicable to anything, as you've said, that that moves and needs to know where it is. I'm confident that it will be ubiquitous in the coming years in every in almost everything that moves, whether that be a car, rail systems, even things that don't move, kind of security applications, 
automation systems. But, we, we always say that's things that move or things that track things that move. So if you're yep. a, a smart city application, an ITS application or a security application, what you want to be tracking are the things that are moving in the environment. And you, and again, you still need to know where those are in three dimensions as, precis- as precisely as possible. Definitely. Yeah, 100%. So just touching on uh, Louis' background there in a little bit more detail, because I I work with and have worked with a number of defense organizations in the past. And I know that with what he was doing, most of those companies tend to use radar for their, their tracking systems. So was it a change in him, for him going from radar to LIDAR or was he always working on LIDAR? For, for most of the targeting reconnaissance type of uh, systems that he was building, it was a, and I think this is also maybe an interesting difference in terms of perspective. When he was building these targeting pods or reconnaissance systems, Mm. it was always an integration of multiple sensor types, multiple modalities. So it was radar, it was LIDAR, it was cameras, it was all of these things integrated together that brought the greatest level of intelligence and capabilities to these systems. It wasn't the over-reliance on any one type of sensor. So I think bringing that perspective to the table really, uh, you know, again, sort of enables our technology to be more fluid, if you will, more integrated, because we, one of the things that Louis integrate was built into the system is this idea of feedback loops and being able to integrate other types of sensors to trigger actions within our LIDAR, right? So a camera can trigger our LIDAR to update its scan pattern of radar can do the same thing. Other sensors can integrate within our our system because our system is agile and can be responsive to input and feedback loops that from other sensors. So being able to, you know, I'm sure you've had people on your podcast talk about sensor fusion and and whatnot. Um, We're doing it in real time at the sensor level, right? We're not waiting to fuse that down the road. We're doing it right up front, right at the, right within the sensor. And I think that, Again, it just it's about making our sensor very responsive to the world, right? Being able to uh, adapt to the world as it as it's uh, as it as it experiences it. It's very situationally aware, if you will. Yeah, look, that's that is very different from kind of other companies I've spoken with or other companies I'm aware of, which, as you said, maybe aren't doing it at the sensor level and are instead doing it at the back. So, yeah, very right. interesting. And Look, we'll get into that in more detail. And I think you've mentioned there it's very important in both Louise's past life and of the, of the defense sector that there's not a reliance on one sensor. I mean, as, as I'm sure you know, and as the listeners will probably know by this point, one sensor will not allow for fully autonomous driving. It's just, it's just not possible. But if you're able to fuse that data together, I imagine there's a lot of benefits to doing that at the sensor level rather than elsewhere. That's where you're going to have the benefits and allow for autonomous drive, well, true autonomous driving, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it really boils down to getting the more the most accurate information possible to the to the basically the motion control system on the vehicle, right? So yeah. you, need, you need to get accurate information as fast as possible. So if you can reduce the processing time and the processing overhead and capture and end the amount of data being processed, mm. you will get to more accurate information faster, which is the ultimate goal. So for us, pushing that to the point of acquisition, to the point where the sensor is actually collecting the data just makes a lot of sense. Because if you're, if you're collecting the information that matters up front and you can include with that data more than just the you know, XYZ coordinates of an object, but be able to say, it's here. It's going. It's heading in this direction at this velocity, and the, we yep. for, we forecast the motion of this object to be X Y Z, or you know X Y Z, um, to be here, here, and here in the future. So that information can be passed along, and and the you know the motion planning system can immediately understand if it has to change or alter or how to you know how to apply that to the vehicle's path. For sure, yeah, and that's as you said, that's how we get to kind of where we need to go with regards to autonomous driving. So right. yeah. Let's talk about the kind of AI's technology in a little bit more detail because, you know, it's classed as an industry first, smarter than a normal passive LiDAR sensor system. So you're not calling it LiDAR, are you? You're calling it something slightly different. Yeah, we call, we call it IDAR, which is intelligent detection and ranging. Of course, okay. at, at the core of it is a long range high performance lidar system but because we're doing we're pushing the art, this deterministic artificial intelligence to the sensor 
doing the edge processing, uh, making it agile and uh, adaptive and responsive to the world. It's 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 not just a passive LiDAR system. If you don't mind me just riffing for just a second. <laughs> the, I mean, the we we were talking about this a little bit you know, earlier, but um, the simple fact that the world is not a static or fixed place, right? It's we're, we're tr- so trying to make sense of the world in a with a passive sensor that is always capturing the same information with a fixed scan pattern that treats every bit of information with the exact same level of importance makes no sense, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're trying to do something with a fixed scan pattern, maybe that's fine for a very slow moving environment that, or a very fixed environment. But if you're in a world where that's in perpetually changing, that you don't know what you're going to encounter next, you have to have something that's going to be able to scale for speed and safety and cost. And so that as the environment becomes more complex and moves faster, you're able to adapt to it. And, I, and that's, we're trying we're building a system that is able to adapt to the world as it dynamically moves and changes. And that's where, and that's where we have to be if, to your point earlier to, if we're going to truly enable autonomy within a vehicle. And I, again, I suppose this draws back to, to Louis' time in the defense sector, doesn't it? Kind of working on mm-hmm. fighter jets that are moving. At, I mean, I don't know how fast they go, but I know they go very fast. I suppose they can't track everything. They need to just track the very important stuff. So He's kind of almost taken that that mindset and that requirement and brought it to the autonomous driving space, hasn't he? Yep, exactly. And that really comes back to this idea of biomimicry and mimicking the human visual cortex and trying and saying, you know, if if you think about what you're seeing now with your eyes, you're 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 focusing on something, but you're seeing the periphery, right? You're aware yeah. of the periphery. Your 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 body is aware of what's going on around you, even though what your brain is focusing on is a very small portion of that. Mm. And so we try to mimic that in regards to seeing everything, paying attention to everything, but really applying focus on what matters. Yeah, and that's and that's fundamentally the difference. So we're not, it's not like we're ignoring it. We want to make sure we see anything that's moving, you know, it's maybe entering from the side or from the, uh, you know, from other places. But at the same time, we're not putting a lot of energy there. We're putting more energy on where we, what we know is likely to pose a threat. And I was actually going to mention that then I imagine that if you're scanning everything and you're treating everything at the same value, whereas if you're scanning everything, but only treating the main things as the most important, I imagine you're saving processing power there, aren't you? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Because we're primarily because we're providing less data, right? We're providing yeah. information. We like to say we're providing information over data, right? We were providing better qualified information on things that matter versus just a persistent large quantity of data i mean if you're if you're gonna you only need to so know so much about the sky right the the, sure. the chance of something coming out of the sky and landing on a car is pretty slim so yeah. why why are we why do so many passive sensors basically apply the same level of importance to the sky as they do you know the road in front of the vehicle it's just it makes no sense to take the energy mm. that is being used and allocate it evenly across the scene when you can make be smarter about how you apply that energy and basically craft a, craft each and every frame to deliver precisely the information you need to make smarter decisions. Yeah, mimicking mimicking humans there. And I think, I know obviously Tesla don't like LiDAR, but I've seen something very recently actually from them when they've decided to drop their radar sensor. And the reason they've done that, and they're saying it's a good idea, we'll, we'll see how that is. But the reason they've said they're doing that is because the data that the radar has provided has kind of muddied the waters and made the processing more difficult. So I suppose AI are doing the same thing, but just with the LIDAR and the data that the LIDAR provides, isn't it? To a degree, although we also firmly believe that you, you need multiple modalities, sensing modalities in, in any vehicle. I, we just, we're, we, it makes no sense to tie your arm, you know, one arm behind your back. I mean, we're, we're dealing with... <laughs> with safety issues here we're dealing with yeah. human lives right why would you why would you not put a life-saving sensor on a vehicle it just makes it makes absolutely no sense to me and and Definitely. um and whether it's radar or lidar or anything else i mean you 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 need to have multiple ways of of looking at the world so that you in and redundant ways of looking at the world so that you can make sure and absolute with absolute certainty that the vehicle is making the right decisions and I, it just like I said, we, we believe that there, if you're looking at any sort of fully autonomous vehicle or even for ADAS applications, you need to look at how those very sensing modalities complement each other and use use them appropriately. Definitely, yeah, 100%. And I think, look, if, if you look at my LinkedIn, I'm, I'm constantly going on about that you need a, a multimodal sensor approach and that approach 
definitely has to include a lidar. But look, that's a conversation for a different day. We can go on about <laughs> well, we can go on about Tesla and their approach to the cows come home, should we say? Um, well, I th- you know, and I think a lot of I think a lot of the pe- a lot of people who are, will be or who have been, I should say, um, sort of negative on lidar, who are not enthusiastic about lidar, are are living in a, an old school world, right, where they were looking at passive LiDAR systems that offered somewhat limited value in terms of the data they captured and that cost tens of thousands of dollars. So in terms of the value they delivered, I can see people being skeptical, right? But now we're heading into a world like what, what AI is able to provide, which is highly precise, extremely valuable information, and we're able to deliver it for less than $1,000 for a vehicle, that all of a sudden becomes a game-changing way of looking at it. And I'd be, and, and it's, it's a different world we're in, and it's going to continue to evolve and change over the next few years, Where, because that's just how technology happens, right? We're, we're going to see amazing things happen in LiDAR over the next five years, and we're going to see amazing, just, not just leaps in, in, the, in the technology, but we're also going to see the cost curve come down as well. So in terms of the value proposition of LiDAR, it's it's, the lidar in 2021 is radically different from the lidar of 2016. Oh, so definitely. if 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 you're making comments about the value of lidar and you haven't re-looked at what lidar is able to do today, especially like I said, something like AIs, which is very next generation and forward-looking, then you, you're really missing the boat. 100%. And look, that's part of the reason I've done this podcast, because the level of innovation that's happened in the recent years is astounding. Kind of the, the performance increase and the cost reduction has just been, it's been sensational. It will only continue to improve as well, as you've said. So kind of when those comments have been made in the past about LIDAR, the world's radically changed since then. You know, they were tens of thousands of dollars. You couldn't integrate them onto into a vehicle unless you wanted a big, ugly box on top of your car but that's, that's right just not the, that's not the case anymore <laughs> exactly that's a good point too is like with the packaging and placement flux you know, options that we have today uh and not just for automotive passenger cars but for all types of vehicles it's it we're, we're gonna like i said we're just gonna see a revolution in how that's deployed in the next few years for sure yeah so let's let's get into kind of i know we've discussed it briefly but this artificial intelligence system it's a deterministic artificial intelligence system. So I know just because you briefly, yeah, what are the kind of the, what are the benefits of this for an autonomous, for an autonomous vehicle, as opposed to a passive sensor? Well, I think, I mean, just to keep it as simple and, and easy to uh, understand as possible. If, for instance, we, if, if you think in terms of scan patterns and again, putting energy where it's most needed, how, you, how the vehicle needs to view the world when they're on, uh, a, a highway out in the yep. middle of in a, in a rural area, and I, uh, I know for anyone who's listening in the United States, and like if you're driving down I-10 in West Texas, where there isn't there's nothing but sagebrush and and asphalt for miles on end. The scan pattern you need in that environment will look a lot different from what you need in a very dense urban environment, uh, where because the the you're going to be moving slowly and how you in that environment and what you need to see where the threats are going to come from are going to be prim- primarily from the side versus the front, and so how you scan those two are radically different. So from a you know so from just from a basic perspective, we again talking about how we can trigger changes in the sensor just from knowing where you are, we can trigger different scan patterns yep. and and change how we look at how our sensor is viewing the world we can also use the imu in the vehicle so that if you're if you're going up a hill or down a hill we can change the scan pattern to adjust for the tilt of the vehicle okay. um or the you know and or if the car is turning we can adjust the scan pattern to it for 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 a turn either in any direction um we can also adjust the scan pattern depending on where the where the sensor is going to be placed on the vehicle because how you scan if it's in the grill is different from how you scan if it's in the windshield of and course, so yeah. um, being able to adjust that at design time when you're designing it and, and just by using software by the way this is a, these are everything i'm saying here is all software driven yeah um is radically different from anything else that's out there now and then just more dynamically that's if you're driving down i you know what i-10 in west texas uh and it starts raining your scan pattern sh- should adjust for rain and so we can immediately adjust our scan pattern to uh, be more dynamically um, powerful th- you know, and be able to punch through some of the rain you know, that's, that's uh, coming down in front of the sensor. Yeah. So 
it's, you know, I think we can be more dynamic in regards to sensing within a frame and sensing, um, I'll give you one other example. I guess one, one other thing that I should provide is um, in the, on I-10, <laughs> on that freeway, <laughs> if there's some bricks in the road in front of us and we get a detect on that small object uh, at yep. 150 or so meters in front of us, within the same frame, we can use that deterministic uh, AI to hit that same object with multiple additional points to determine its precise height and then okay. tell the vehicle, is it an object that I need to swerve around or is it an object I can drive over, right? That, that, and do, and when I say within a frame at, if we're, let's say on a sort of a standard 10 to 15 Hertz pattern, that, that's within one tenth of one second, we're able to deliver that, right? So one Hertz, right? Within one Hertz, wow. one, yeah, <laughs> I can't, within one frame, boy, I'm, yeah stumble over that one uh, within one frame within that scan pattern. So that um, that's the, that's what we're able to deliver, right? Cause that's the kind of information that you need in order, the vehicle needs in order to make intelligent decisions about its, its path and where it goes. Of course. Yeah. So I think the summary, if you're almost going to summarize it in kind of one sentence, one line, it's, it's as close to human, vi- well, kind of how a human would operate for a machine, for a LIDAR as possible, isn't it? Because it's, it's almost making the decision, kind of the decisions via AI that you and I would make if we're driving our cars, kind of, oh, here's a, here's something in the road. Can I just go over it? Do I have to go around it? Do I have to stop my car? And it's doing that very, very quickly. That's right. I mean, you're exactly right. The, 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 we measure our success by how closely to the human visual cortex we can be. And so mm-hmm. being able to pay attention to what matters, putting additional focus on what we think might be an issue is what we're, what we're all about. We're not trying, you know, we're, we're trying to glean the most important information out of the scene and share that information with the track, with the motion planning system, not see everything with the same level of importance because that's, that doesn't provide value. One of the things you mentioned there as well is, is very similar to humans also kind of, if you're driving down, down I-10, I've never been on I-10, but I feel like it's a road that there's not much on there. It's very empty. It's very empty. (laughs) Yeah. But kind of, if you or I were driving down there, we'd probably be very bored, probably zone out because there's not really anything to worry about. And almost the, the LIDAR does that as well. It kind of changes the scan rate. I imagine the processing power is reduced as a result of that. And it, I suppose that's very similar to to us, what we'd do, but then the LIDAR is always on. And if there is an issue, it will pick it up. Exactly. You know, the, the LIDAR will never get tired, right? Yeah, it'll never, sure. it'll never goes <laughs> off. So it's, it's, it's out there picking things up and you're right. It's going to, one of the things about being on uh, like I-10 or on West Texas, you, you, we probably would change the scan pattern because it's long, it's straight. Yep. Not a lot's going on, um, but you need to make, you need to find out if there's a brick in the road because you don't want to hit a brick. Right. So sure. that's, that's, that ability to constantly scan and pick up the things that are important is really what's critical. Definitely. And, to, and what we were saying to adapt to, you know, to complex certain changing environments as, you know, as you move from one place to another, or as the environment you're in changes, whether it starts raining or snowing or whatever it might be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, from what I know, I don't believe that there's many other LIDARs out there that can, can change all of those aspects like yours can. I think I I know ones that can change the frame rate that can change kind of things of that nature but not not all of it in kind of one in one very easily way to do with the artificial intelligence system there. I'm I I'm not aware of anyone who can do that either. So I'm, <laughs> I I would in fact we don't, we have patents on it so I would yep. hope that they don't. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And I think we need a disclaimer as well for anyone who lives anywhere near I10. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cuz we're making I10 sound like it's a terrible terrible place at the moment. <laughs> I'm not sure people in West Texas would argue. (laughs) (laughs) Umbilical technology. We help leaders of organizations at the forefront of innovation secure talent ahead of their competition. Um, So just want to touch on as well. You've mentioned that the where the kind of the integration is done with other sensors in the vehicle is done at the kind of the edge of the sensor rather Mm -hmm. than kind of at the back end. So my thoughts were that kind of how it was working was that it was all done at the back end, the data from the IDAR, the data from the radar and the, the cameras that have been supplied by other other organizations would be kind of brought together, processed, et cetera, um, and then decisions made. But that's not the case. So are there any issues with the IDAR being integrated into other sensor systems, considering it's all happening within the IDAR data or 
is it quite easy for OEMs to integrate the IDAR in? So I know other companies kind of don't do it like that. No, great question. And they historically have not done it like that. So there's a lot of, of existing systems that aren't designed to take advantage of a sensor like AIs, like our IDAR system, sure. right? Yeah. So, but on the other hand, we don't demand that you take advantage of our system to use it, okay. right? So it's sort of a, you know, I'll say crawl, walk, run approach, if you will, where we, you know, you can use the system as it, as you would any other LiDAR system, capture, you know, use the data integrated as you do today. But then we have a very robust API and, and toolkit for, for OEMs or for tier ones or for our systems integrator to take our platform and start optimizing it and playing with it to see how they can get more information, better quality information out of the sensor uh, over time. And because I, I, you know, we, we, I think our fundamental belief is that there's, you know, there's no one size fits all approach here and sure. that systems integrators, tier ones, um, they know their markets best. And if we can give them the tools to optimize a sensor to deliver the information that best suits their market, yeah. their application needs, their use cases, they will they will create the optimal sensor. And we're going to yeah. give them the tools to do that. We're not going to you know say here's a sensor, here's the data, good luck with it. Um, and that's I think the long the long run advantage AI has is that uh, we're we're working with our partners and our systems integrator partners and our tier one partners to uh, really understand what is needed, what, what the use case that they're pursuing demands and optimizing our sensor and our software to deliver that. And I, that is fundamentally, you know, sort of the, I hate to say the long game, but that's the long game for AI is, is not to, you know, just sell a bunch of boxes and wish our customers good luck, but to work with, you know, work with them and provide them the tools to really make the most of it yep. and to get, to get extract the greatest value and to deliver the greatest value. Definitely. Yeah. So I see it's most of the kind of organizations, they'll have their perception software solution, which can kind of look into the data and play around with it. But yours is happening at a different time stage, isn't it? It's happening kind of at the, at the sensor edge rather than at the back end. Exactly. And in, and to your point, many systems integrators don't, or, or tier ones don't initially understand what that means or how to use that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, or how, and, and, and so, sure. so that's incumbent upon us to work with them over time. Give as I said, give them the tools and the, and the means by which they can get, they can start to utilize and, and leverage some of that capability that we put into our, our platform. Definitely. And I mean, I'm sure you're you're involved in those discussions. So, how how easy is it to educate OEMs to that, and how how receptive are they to kind of this new model of kind of at the sensor edge rather than at the back end? Because oh, is it a departure from what other companies are doing? Let, so we should take a just take a little sidestep towards our yep. our sort of somewhat different business model because not only do we have different technology but we have a different approach to the business um we work within the automotive space we worked exclusively through tier one partners and okay. our, our primary tier one partner is this um boutique firm out of germany called continental i know Continental um, very well yeah yeah they're just a, a, a small little company there and <laughs> um but uh, you know, with with a company like Continental, yep. to you know, to your question, we're we're licensing our technology. We're giving them you know some some of our subcomponents and providing them with the know how to put it all together. But yep. we're also working with them on the software side to say for them to work with the their OEM customers to determine what they believe the right sensor is for a variety of different ADAS solutions from level three plus to above, you know, beyond that. Um, but they, but Continental will define what that product is and what the what the solution will do for each one of their OEM customers. They're okay. building a they're building a Continental product on AI's technology. I see. Okay, that's and, very interesting. Yeah, exactly. And there, and so to your you know to your question about OE, working with OEMs, that's we don't do that. Our yep. partners like Continental do that, and we give them, we give Continental the tools to deliver the product that whatever OEM customer they have wants. I see. Right. I wasn't aware of that. I knew that you were working with Continental because I'd, I'd seen that on the website, but I wasn't aware that they were then kind of responsible for integrating that and working with the OEMs on that aspect. Um, yeah, very and, interesting. 
And, and just in, sort of in parallel to that, then when in these non-automotive markets, we will work with systems integrators yep. uh, to address the needs of each of them. So we'll work with uh, companies like um, Hitachi in the rail yep. market, who, you know, large systems integrators who will define larger scale solutions for, you know, you know for their customers in the rail business. Yeah. Or I use Hitachi, but I mean, the other companies in, in, in the, I, like the intelligent traffic system space, such as Econolite, um, we'd be working with you know, companies like that uh, to, again, take our platform and customize you know, for, for Econolite's building a intelligent um, intersection platform. Yep. They would integrate our system into that and you know, we'd give them the tools to optimize for a whatever what, whatever you know yeah. combination of, of of features they would want to implement in that's in that uh in that intersection management system for sure and i suppose then you don't have the the issue of how to integrate kind of the lidar with the other sensors because continental develop radars they develop cameras they're then well, responsible for doing that aren't they well, and that so and and by the way i just give a little plug for continental that's one of the beautiful <laughs> they've done they they have a exquisitely designed ADAS, an integrated, um, basically ADAS stack, if you will, yep. that where they've, they have integrated a short range LIDAR that they, that there's a continental product, as well as their radars, as well as their cameras, as well as their control units. I mean, they've got a, they, they have a beautifully designed integrated um, ADAS system that is really modular, but it's also yep. configurable to deliver a variety of different ADAS features. We're, our product, the product that they're building on our technology will plug directly into that and be part of the seamless integration. Um, and it's uh, you know it's it's it for us it's it's uh, we're very proud to be part of that because it's uh, it's very elegant and it's um, uh, it's you know it's really sort of I think from our perspective the right approach to address the ADAS, the you know ADAS needs of the mar- of the um, automotive market. Definitely, yeah. Look, they're one of the I I know them well. They're one of the especially within radar. They're one of probably the best companies in Germany developing radar. In terms look, of LIDAR, I'm not, I know that they do flash LIDAR. I wasn't aware kind of that they were integrating your products as well. Um, but yeah, that, as you said, look, they're one of the best when it comes to ADAS and autonomous driving for sure. Yeah, and we're proud to be working with them. And we've got, you know, we, we've, you know, we're working with a few other tier ones as well. But, you know, all, all in all right now, our primary focus has been working with, uh, with Conti. Great. Okay. And just to discuss the, the products in a little bit more detail, because I looked into the specifications of the the Foresight M and the Foresight A. Uh, I read on one of them, I think it was the Foresight M, a, a thousand meters in terms of range? Well, in yes. And, and, you know, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about customizing. Yeah. Everything about our product is sort of a range, it's just, which is yeah. really difficult for us to sort of lay out our specifications and say, well, we do this, 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 and this, yeah. because you can choose, right? If you, is, is a thousand meter range important? Great. We can do a thousand meters. You're going to yeah. give up something for that, right? You're not going to get, you're going to yeah. get, you're going to get a very tight scan pattern at that point. Sure. But if you're a, if, if you're in the railroad business and you want to, you want to do like object detection on the track and you've, and you've got a, 30 or 40 car consists behind me at several, you know, I don't know how many tons of, of freight that is behind me, but you're not stopping on a dime, oh, right? So you not. need, to, you need to have as great a stopping distance as possible. So you're going to want a thousand meters or more, but on the other hand, I don't need to see anything more than what the, is the, in, on the track in front of me, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I can get rid Five of meters. all the, re- exactly. I can get rid of all the resolution anywhere on the sides and create a scan pattern that's explicitly for rail, very right. small, targeted on the track and punching as much, you know, as much range as I possibly can. So a thousand meters or more, I don't know if we could, if we were very focused, I'm not sure how, what the furthest distance we could gain on our, on the ranges, yeah. but you make that trade off versus like we were saying earlier, like an urban driving environment where you want yeah. a lot of resolution on the sides, but you probably only need it, the range to be 30 or 40 meters because you're not sure. going that fast. Right. Yeah. So you trade off the range on there for the resolution on the sides uh, on the sides of the scan and that and by the way those two scans reside in the same sensor right i can go from yeah. one one scan one scan pattern to the next on the same equipment because it's all software yeah and the ai determines that yeah exactly yeah, for sure no the reason i asked more so than anything was as you know look spoke of a lot of different lidar companies and i think a thousand meters automotive grade would be 
well, sensational. I, I'm not seeing that. It's kind of 250, 300 or so. So I just wanted to understand if that was for for automotive applications or if it was for well, you know, very specific applications. I, I think we see, based on conversations with customers, I think we see the greatest need for range in uh, – more in like trucking where you have yeah. a greater braking distance required. Um, if you're doing applications in trucking for a trucking autonomy, like uh, lane centering, um, yep. having, having as great as visibility to the line lane markings and you know, as possible to really helps you understand where the truck is in regards to, you know, is the, is the road changing in front of me? Is it turning? What's happening in front of me? And, you know, it's greater distance as possible always will help trucks, right? They need the greatest for range sure, they yeah. can. Um, and when, you know, when you're out on I-10, you, you want a lot of range there too, but, yeah. you know, being able to trade off range for resolution in, in, in an urban environment is also critical. So, um, again, so it's just for us, yeah, if you want, if you want and need a thousand meters, you can get it, yeah. but you don't always need a thousand meters, especially if you're driving in downtown San Francisco. For sure. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you're not getting anywhere with a thousand meters. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a complete waste of, 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 of energy at that point, right? Do you want yeah. Um, especially if you're going 10 miles an hour. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just traffic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. Um, and then on the automotive subject, and I know we've discussed price point there. So is that, a, for kind of the sensors there, is that around $1,000? Our, our target is, I mean, so we have a path to get our, our build materials below $100. And that's, okay. what, we're after. that's, that's what we're after. Yeah. Um, you know, what time frame we're going to be able to do that. We believe we can get that in the next five years. Yeah. So, and it goes back to what I was saying, you know, what we were talking about earlier. I think in the next five years, we're going to see a tremendous amount of advance, both in terms of technology and costing on, on, on LIDAR. And we, we've, we're pretty, very, very confident we can deliver that over time. Um, where we are today is, you know, we've, we've gotten the price point now where I, I'm, I'm not going to quote for Continental, but I think we can comfortably go to OEMs and expect to be able to deliver um a product for a thousand dollar price range okay. or, or, or less and is that with regards to that kind of that product is that just one device or is that that's, that's one device okay. yeah that's one so it's not yeah it's, it's not a system but yep. here's here's what i think is going to we, we we often get sort of caught up in this sort of price per unit type of question where i think what's going to happen over time as the cost per sensor falls which, which what's going to remain constant is the level of investment in the vehicle, right? So yeah. let's say, you know, right now they put one, maybe one sensor in the front of the vehicle for the long range, uh, maybe highway autopilot type of application or something like that, some level three type application. Um, but as the price of the sensors falls, I would see adding more and more sensors to the vehicle so that the ultimate sort of level of investment in terms of sensing on the car probably remains relatively constant. Mm. Because if, if you can add more safety features, more, you know, you're, you're going to continue, you, the OEM, will continue to do that. Of course. Yeah. And so more, more so than anything, the most important thing. And we've already seen this, as we discussed earlier, over kind of the last four or five years is is that reduction in cost, isn't it, in the in the sensor technology itself? I mean, we've we've seen what happened in, with the cost of radar over the last twenty some years, right? Yeah. I think what you're going to see with lidar is a similar curve, only accelerated by by fifteen years. I mean, yeah. I think everything that happened in radar, you're going to see happen in less than 10 years. Definitely. I agree. And I've had other people on the podcast that have shared that opinion that the the level of innovation and the, the kind of the cost reduction in LIDAR, especially for automotive, is happening at a lot quicker rate than it has done in, in radar and in camera. So, yeah, definitely kind of optimism in the industry there. And that... I know kind of we've discussed this previously, but that kind of is primarily drawn or driven by the um, kind of the improvements in semiconductor, the semiconductor domain, isn't it? I think semiconductors, but I also think uh, the laser cost, the, 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 you can call them semiconductor, but the, the receiver technology, the, the actual is, is another big cost driver that will be radically uh, we'll see radical cost reductions in, in the next few years. Okay, interesting. And 
with regards to your ladder, we've focused kind of very heavily on on forward facing lidar. So, are you kind of AI focused purely on kind of forward facing lidars, or do you envision having a system that can kind of do three sixty? Because I know we've t- spoken about integration kind of oh. in the grill and on the roof. Yeah, we, we, I would say right now we're focusing primarily, well, I just, and I say we, um, yep. we, we aren't exclusively forward facing. Much of many of the applications we're looking at right now are. However, yep. we are also, like we've talked about, we're in a variety of different markets. Okay. Uh, and it's for passenger vehicles. I'd say, if we're talking explicitly about passenger vehicles, I'd say yes. We're probably we we believe we will have a 360 solution over time. Okay. Um, again, partially because our system is very adaptable. You know, you don't need super long ranges on the side of the vehicle. Of course not. Yeah, definitely. But uh, we can create a much you know, much shorter range, much, you know, but with the equal level of flexibility of our system, just, you know, with the agility and scan pattern adjustment and everything else that we can do. Um, but we can create one that's, that's perfectly designed to fit on the side of the vehicle or the back of the vehicle or in the taillight or in the, you know, the, the beauty yeah. of our system is again, we can, can, we can via software pretty, pretty much design the optimal system or optimal sensor for any place on the vehicle. Definitely, yeah. I think it makes sense, obviously, at the start to focus on forward facing. Um, that's kind of where you're going to have to get the best performance. And then, like you've said, I think once you've once you have that, it'll be very easy to iterate that into a a side facing one. Um, but yeah, obviously, the main challenges are in the forward facing ones for sure. So, yeah, look, very excited to see that, and kind of excited to see how how Continental kind of take that out to OEMs and begin integrating that into into kind of vehicles going forward in the coming years obviously as we said at the start of the podcast lidar isn't just for automotive it has its uses there but it can be used in anything that moves or anything that's tracking things that move so one area that i'm very interested in and one thing that i know ai focus on because we've discussed it is the rail the rail industry so where where does a lidar fit in there well I, there's uh i think three areas that broad areas in, within the rail industry one is the one we just we talked about briefly which is sort of the front facing uh on the engine looking down the track sort of obstacle avoidance obstacle detection that that kind of functionality um the other the other two i actually think are probably bigger applications. The, the okay. biggest I think is actually going to be uh, rail inspection, uh, inspection of not just the, the rail itself and the, and the bed and the tracks, but also of cars and being okay. able to do, do inspection of, of all of those things uh, automatically just to, in order to, because a tremendous amount of cost goes into inspection these days and it's, and, and it's critically important, but if we can help automate that and, do it in a much smarter way over time i think that'll be um a huge win and i think certainly the rail companies are looking for something like that and then i think this the the other area is basically for in passenger rail uh sort of managing the um the depot if you will the station and managing 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 passenger flow um you know and and safety applications within the, the train platform itself I think, there's a, I think there's a lot of interest in that. I guess I'd add a fourth category, which is in freight rail, the um, uh, consist management in terms of putting the trains together and getting making sure the right materials are on the trains, and that the, you know, that that is something I think lighter can play a role in as well. Interesting. Yeah. Look, something I've I've not not too familiar with, uh, not something that's been discussed on that podcast previously. So, well, on the podcast previously, should I say? So, with regards to obviously the rail application on the front of the the locomotive is is fairly standard i'm sure that's fairly understandable for everyone because we've discussed automotive and it's very similar um yep. but with regards to inspection i mean how is that done at the moment is that done manually or um it's done largely through uh cameras and okay. and man and, and a combination of manual and cameras i exactly. see and then how does it kind of what are the benefits there to a LIDAR? Is that something where it will be kind of mounted on the depot on the way out? Is it a drone kind of how, how does that use case work? Well, I think there's um, 
there's a couple different ways it could be uh, could be done. But one of the one of the advantages of lidar again is lidar knows where things are in three dimensional yep. space, right? So if you mount a lidar on a they, an, on an inspection vehicle and just yep. drive it down the tracks, it can detect you know, again within millimeters whether the, anything has moved or changed since the last time. You, it, you know, it was inspected. And yep. so if you're looking for changes, looking for places where maybe the rail has come loose or it's been dislodged or there may be something wrong with the trussle or whatever it might be, um, those that would be immediately detectable via the LIDAR. So you could just drive down the track, capture all of it. The LIDAR would be able to make notes automatically on where things where where things should be visually inspected by someone. Okay. Yeah, and that that and and it also could be a drone. It also could be something that was be that could be mounted on every uh, locomotive, and so that as the train was going down the track, it was doing inspections at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so there's, I mean, I think there's a variety of different ways it could be implemented down the road. I know, I do know there are several uh, systems integrators who are looking at how that can be done because they see the value in it. Yeah, very interesting, and not something as I said that we've discussed previously. And then with lidar in the depot well not in the depot but on the on the station and on the platform kind of how how would that improve safety for instance well I, I, there is one particular application that is being worked on that i probably can't talk about in detail i just would say that it's really has to do with uh tracking individuals on the on the train platform and making sure that they are not um potentially causing harm to themselves. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I understand. That. Yeah, and I imagine uh, obviously there's going to be a, a detection system, well, a warning system, I imagine, or something of that nature, right? Right, exactly. And just, yeah. again, just, you know, there's also, you know, accidents happen in terms of people falling onto tracks. So they're just trying sure. to, again, creating sort of a safety, some sort of safety analysis tool that would give some early warnings on if, if unsafe behavior was occurring. Definitely. And, We've we've discussed it there within safety, but lidar is is very very good at people tracking. Um, yes, I said the reason I'm doing this podcast is I think lidar. No one really understands exactly what it is, but kind of why is lidar better for people tracking and people monitoring than the system that we use today, which is obviously camera based. Well, I think it's easier for lidar to discern where one person starts and another person begins or stops another person begins basically to, to, because it knows precisely where something exists in three dimensions, yep. whereas a camera basically has to calculate all of that and infer where things are. So if you're, if you have a crowd of people with cameras, it's sometimes hard to discern individuals, how many people there are. Yeah, exactly. With, with LIDAR, you can be, it can be very precise because literally it can count heads. Right. I mean, it knows precisely how many people are there because it, it knows who fits into what space. And it, you know, I think that's fundamentally the difference is the precision of it. Definitely. And then I've discussed this previously, but the benefits of a LIDAR there is that I think data can be kind of the data that a LIDAR provides, I think, is a it's richer than cameras, isn't it? And it can kind of the data that it can provide can then inform kind of let's say for instance with the rail application it can inform decisions surrounding safety if it was in a in a city it can inform decisions surrounding kind of footfall in a certain area at a certain time whereas camera can do that but not 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 sufficiently well i think if you think about the you know we can call it metadata if you will but not only can a can a lidar define an object and track an object it can capture information such as velocity and vector and do motion forecasting and mm -hmm. all the, all of those things a camera can't right yeah. so being, being able to have intelligence about an object and being able to know, apply that intelligence that metadata if you will to the to the object itself um, is you know highly differentiating for lidar yeah i've never actually thought of that myself but i suppose a lidar if you place the LIDAR in a city, for instance, you can not only can you track, you can see how many people there are, but you can see what direction they're going in because the LIDAR immediately identifies that. Whereas with a camera, you're going to have to have kind of a person or kind of some other software tool seeing what direction they're going in, whereas a LIDAR can almost immediately 
ascertain that and feed that data back, right? Exactly, exactly. Definitely. And with kind of now in the 21st century, you know, big issue that we see every day is kind of people monitoring privacy and data concerns. Now, discussed it briefly in the past, but, you know, I go out on the street now and I'm probably going to see 10 cameras before I get to the car park where I am. Yeah. Every single one of those, every single one of those cameras is going to pick up me, my face, what I'm wearing, etc. Whereas a lidar doesn't do that, does it? It it wouldn't. It's interesting you say that because you know I wonder if a lidar could uniquely is it could could a lidar uniquely identify you as a person? Could you have a like a lidar fingerprint? in terms of your size and shape or whatever it might be that says that's Zeke. Yeah. You know, I'm, I got Zeke. I see Zeke. Uh, I don't, and I don't, and I don't know the answer to that. I'm just, that was sort of a rhetorical question about, you know, is that, would it, would it be possible to have sort of a LIDAR fingerprint, if you will, of, of an individual, but what it can do, or, you know, there's we, AI in particular, and some of these computer vision systems have been accused of being biased, you know, and, 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 and rightly so based on the data, uh, yeah, I've seen you know, in, in regards to people of color or you know, women or people who are wearing head coverings because of religious reasons, whatever it might be, they, there's bias against them because of the bias, inherent bias of the way the algorithms are written. One of the beauties of LIDAR is that it, it is not biased. It can't be biased because it doesn't see skin color. It doesn't yep. see, it, it sees a person. It doesn't see what they're wearing, right? So it's, it's a, one of the ways that we as a society can begin to combat sort of some of this inherent bias in artificial intelligence um, is by using, by using technologies that are blind to that. Right. And, and, and AI is not only, I think a better technology for, for precisely identifying where people are and where they're going, but it's also a better technology for ignoring <laughs> what doesn't matter <laughs> in terms of, of like what they're wearing or their skin color or anything like that. For so, sure. I mean, with um, a LIDAR, it just recognizes a, a human, doesn't it? Essentially. Exactly. It just, that's a person. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't recognize gender. It doesn't recognize kind of facial features, ethnicity, race, anything like that. It, exactly. It purely recognizes that and then can use that data for kind of improving society, almost kind of, making things more efficient, making things safer, kind of whatever the application is. Right. And this goes back to what we were saying earlier. I think it goes, no matter what the application is, here here again is another situation where why wouldn't you fuse those two, take both multiple modalities? Why wouldn't you add LiDAR and camera together for this type of application? I mean, why, you know, why not use more than one sensing modality? Definitely. And I think that's that's kind of how it works in the security domain, isn't it? You kind of you have a LIDAR that will initially detect a person and then if required, if they're too close to the the property or whatever like that, my understanding is kind of a camera or another another system kicks in to record them or kind of set off an alarm, right? I, I'm not a security expert. Let's say yes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> No problem. Well, I think we've, Stephen. I think we've covered covered a lot here. I think we've we've discussed some interesting topics that we've not previously covered on this podcast. I think rail is one area where we've not discussed with other guests. I think it's a use case that isn't too common, as far as I know, or at least isn't something that I've discussed with other members. But then also, kind of this, the AI aspect of the the IDAR system that AI have is. Is something that actually have said it's proprietary technology. No one else is doing it. And I think from kind of from how you have explained it to me, I hope it's very clear to the listeners of the benefits that will have over another LIDAR system, over a passive LIDAR system. And then also kind of just overall the benefits of LIDAR over um, a camera system or another system for kind of monitoring and detection, really. So, yeah, I think it's been a, it's been a very interesting interesting discussion for sure well thank you thanks for having me today i appreciate it yeah not a problem it's been insightful to myself i said i've learned a lot about applications i wasn't too too familiar with prior to this so look last questions really Stephen. and these are things that i discuss with every guest so the first one's always very automotive focused um 
and it's really surrounding autonomous driving. I think everyone everyone wants to know when they can get in a car and not not have to do anything. You know, drive down I ten and not have to worry about the fact that you've not seen anything for hours because they can't <laughs> hold it by themselves. So, can, how how long do you think it will be for kind of me and you to get in a car, whether that be our own car or a or a robo taxi, and realistically be able to travel large distances like you and I would without having to touch the steering wheel, without having to do everything. So kind of level four, level five autonomous driving. Yeah. I really look forward to that because I'm not, a, <laughs> I, I would love to just walk out and get into a vehicle and be taken someplace. That, that would, that's, that'd be fantastic. Um, sure. I, so optimistically, I wish it was, I wish I could say that was going to happen next year, but mm-hmm. I, I've, I think realistically, um, you know, we're, I think we'll start to see that yet this decade. Yep. When I say that, it's probably like 2029. <laughs> but <laughs> you sure. know, I, I think we'll start to see it in, in you know, yet I think we'll, yet this decade we'll start to see that begin to emerge on a more regular uh, sort of adoption curve, if you will. Yep. Um, but I don't think we'll see it as sort of commonplace until well into the next decade. When I say commonplace, that is pervasive, right? That yep. it's, I, I think it'll be, it'll be next next decade before we sort of see it be ubiquitous for sure yeah i agree i think initial rollout of kind of public well taxis robo taxis so to speak obviously already happening i think you guys you guys over there in san francisco are some of the lucky ones obviously you've got i think crews are just about able to begin public offerings soon and waymo waymo yeah they're they're already doing it aren't they in phoenix but i think they'll they'll obviously expand Uh, going forward they drive down my street six times a day oh really (laughs) yeah they're just capturing data that's all they're doing capturing so (laughs) and then i think there's zooks as well i think i've seen recently they've got a a license for for road testing in california so yeah i think you're going to be the first guys to be well guys and girls to be able to actually to have that benefit to be able to go to work and not have to touch a steering wheel on the way well and i and i will caveat my comment, just because I think the the thing that could change this is the rapid adoption of increased ADAS features that are safe, both safety, sort of productivity and comfort oriented. And we know from that we, we can see the roadmap that between 2024, 2025, 2026, there's going to be a, a large rollout of these very high level, very sophisticated, multi, multimodal, multi-center mode uh, ADAS applications that are going to be level three Right, sure. they're going to begin to push that, and I think is this is all about sort of getting people comfortable with yep. autonomy, and I, I think the degree to which those applications roll out and are successful and get people comfortable with autonomy, you could see and you could see it accelerate in terms Definitely. of its adoption, but um, I, but that's that, that's only if these ADAS features really get traction and people start to um, you know get enthused get enthused by them. And so that's, that's the one thing that I think could accelerate adoption, but otherwise left, left to its current curve. I think, like I said, we're looking at you know, end of the decade. For sure. Yeah, I agree. And I think what you've said there is, is very important because at the moment we're, we're level two in autonomous driving, which, which isn't much, but I think as you've said, we're, we're starting now to see cars coming out kind of back end of this year. Well, in fact, there's already one out there, the Honda in Japan. Yeah. I forgot it's called. That's level three, but there's not much they only, else. They only, made like, they only made like 50 of them, though. Yeah, <laughs> they did, yeah. But as you so said, what, what we need is more, more offerings, more vehicles on the road that do that. And I think slowly there'll be an incremental kind of increase towards that higher level of autonomous driving. A yep. good price point as well, because I think that Honda was ridiculously expensive. Yes, yes. <laughs> Eye-wateringly so. And then the next question is more just with regards to the LiDAR domain in particular. I think, as I said at the start of the podcast, the reason I've, I've chosen LiDAR as a specific topic is because of the amount of innovation going on in there, because of the amount of companies operating in this space. But kind of how do you expect the market to change over the next five years? Because, you know, in any capital market, there's, there's competition, there's consolidation. How do you see the market changing over the next five years for LiDAR in particular? Well, I think um, 
we'll see, like I said earlier, we're going to see a tremendous amount of innovation. And when I end by with, within, when you have innovation, you have probably a more of a divergence of different types of technologies, different, instead of a convergence, I think we're going to see more diversity in the types of LIDAR and, and, and its capabilities over the next few years. I think the market will then go through a process where they sort of downselect, if you will, <laughs> from <Yeah>. all these <laughs> options. Um, and so that by, let's say, mid-decade, we're, we're seeing more of a consolidation because we're seeing the market having chosen which, uh, which types of LIDAR are best applied for different applications. And yep. when, once you get to that point, then you're, start to, then you're going to see, I think, sort of a rapid uh, consolidation around, you know, different people, even different companies being acquired or different companies going out of business, whatever it might be, but you're going to, you, you will see um, as, as the market sort of coalesces around certain different types of applying different types of, di- of LIDAR technologies to different types of applications, the number of options in terms of the companies out there will begin to um, get, you know, we'll, we'll get winnowed out. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. I think what you said there is, is very important that kind of different applications of LIDAR kind of let's say the automotive market will quickly realize that this is the type of lidar we need rail well, might say this is the best type and then there'll be a convergence around that technology yeah but even even within automotive you may find two or three different types of lidar on a vehicle for sure right? yeah um, short and, range long range yeah exactly it could be a for, for short range this we'll use a flash and and at a very low cost flash and we'll insert it here and, and the for long range front we'll want put it in the grill and we're going to want this this and this and you know it's it's it, it I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was more than one flavor of LiDAR in a, in a passenger vehicle. Yeah. And I think from a cost perspective that that could work as well, you know, like flash being very low cost could have a a role on the side Could of your more expensive kind of IDARs or whatever can, could have places on the front and on the back and so on and so forth. And then obviously different industries, different applications as well, different types of LIDAR. So yeah, I think it's, it's a very interesting space. And what I say to, to all the guests really is that over kind of the next probably two years, I think it will be very interesting to revisit this podcast and to see how, <laughs> see how many of our predictions have came true. <laughs> I think you're right because, and I'm as with most things, you know, eighty percent of them, ninety percent of them are going to be wrong. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, for it'll sure. Be okay. Yeah, I mean, we've made some we've made some claims on this episode. We've made some big claims in other episodes as well, regarding kind of when we expect to see autonomous drive cars on the road, widespread. What will happen over the next couple of years? So, yeah, very interesting to see who was right, who was wrong. I, I'll, I'll probably be wrong on most of them. Uh, we'll see how you guys get on. Poets. Um, And yeah, just lastly, Stephen, for anyone that is kind of interested in what we've said today, kind of want to learn more about AI, about the sensors that you guys are working on there, what's kind of the best thing for them to do? Is it to follow someone in particular on LinkedIn? Have you got a blog? Kind of how can people learn more? Well, I would say first, Join, you know, visit us on the website, which is aeye.ai, ai.ai. And by the way, AI, the way we, I should have said this up front, but where we came up with the name AI is it basically stands for artificial eye. So oh, it's ah. that that's where the name came from. So we are AI, E-Y-E at, or dot AI. Um, and then I, I would follow us on, on LinkedIn because we post almost daily on LinkedIn and yeah. um, that's probably our, and, and also follow us on Twitter. We, we will do, we pretty much are on there every day with Twitter and, and LinkedIn with news and updates and opinions and uh, try to keep everyone informed of what we're up to. Sounds good. Well, I'm, I hope that the listeners will be engaged by what we spoke about today and want to learn a lot more about AI and about, about LIDAR in general, really. That's obviously been the aim of the podcast, but look, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Stephen. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good day. And you. Thanks.